Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Alright, hello everyone and welcome to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host Chris Platty. Hope everyone is doing well. I'm a little bit under the weather myself, so if you hear bottles uh, bottles crunching and, and all that stuff, that's just water bottles that I'm throwing back because my throat is sore, my nose is runny, but I'm very excited because we have a special guest today, a returning guest, my man Aaron Johnson. Aaron, how you doing? I'm doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem, man. No problem. You're always a welcome guest here. Always, always value your input. So today's episode is going to be a fun one. We're just going to dive in on the on both of the series. One, obviously, concluding last night, Golden State and Portland, and the other still going, which is uh, Milwaukee and Toronto. Aaron, do you have a preference on which one you'd rather start? No, it doesn't matter to me, man. I'm cool with talking, whichever. All right, man. Well, then let's let's jump into the one that ended last night. Uh, we, I guess we'll go a little bit chronologically here. So, last night, the Warriors beat Portland to finish off the sweep. And what was what will be written in history as a sweep, but I feel was a pretty competitive series despite that, right? Like, three of the four games were, were Absolutely. pretty close all the way through. Last night's game going to overtime uh, had a lot of thrilling dramatics. I mean, who expected Aaron a, a twenty-five point half from Myers Leonard? He yeah. was he was having the game of his life. He was he was making good on that huge contract he signed in the two thousand sixteen offseason. He earned all his money right there, all all in just one half. Must yeah. be once must be nice for twenty-four minutes of basketball to earn your your entire salary, but. He did it, man. Um, that was that was really a, a, a trip to see. Um, that was basically everybody's pipe dream of what Myers Leonard could be manifested itself in the half last night. Dame, uh, Dame was kind of again. Dame, Dame had a really good game last night. I felt, but um, he also he also just seemed to be a little bit fatigued. Uh, yeah, definitely down the stretch too. I mean. He was he didn't have a bad shooting night, eleven of twenty four. That's just under fifty percent. But you could tell late in the game he just didn't have the lift on his shot to, uh, you know, to, to to put it in the basket. I mean, he was just tired, and you know, Terry Stotts 
tried to give him some rest, brought him back in with about nine minutes left to go in the fourth, and then he had to stay in the rest of the game through overtime just because what can you do without him on the court? And, you know, even with him fatigued, he's still their, their best player. So it was tough to see, you know, and you know he's playing through that, that rib injury, um, but with, the, with with you have the fatigue mixed with that, it was just a tough combination that unfortunately he couldn't overcome. But when you're playing the, the best culmination of talent ever, you know, it's it's kind of tough to do that. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, it, it was really funny. You speak on Lillard down the stretch not having the legs. That was very – that was something that I observed as well was, um, you know, he got like – we got like three or four uh, game time opportunities. You know how he's been hitting all the big shots in the playoffs, but down the stretch he had that – he had that step back three that he couldn't get to fall. I think he had two or three potential uh, uh, big time threes in the clutch in the final two minutes of of the fourth quarter in overtime. Then also he had that drive at the end where he did his best Kareem Abdul-Jabbar impersonation with the sky hook. That was pretty interesting. <laughs> um, but you know, I I would have loved to have seen for the Portland fan base. I would have loved to have seen them get one last game time moment, but. Um, yeah, let's let's talk the Warriors side of it because the Warriors ended up winning this game. Curry, 37 points. He got 37, 36, and 37 in the series. So he just absolutely dominated. Uh, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson did not shoot the ball well in this game, but Draymond Green had a triple double once again, and now and now Draymond Green and Steph Curry are the only teammates in NBA playoff history to have triple doubles in the same game, which was an interesting stat to to me. But I I thought I thought that uh, one of the finals, uh, Kyrie and LeBron had that. But maybe I was that was like I think that was something like forty points, right? Like two teammates have forty points. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that because they they just had the huge game against Golden State, uh, scoring wise, but. Yeah, that was a special performance from from Steph and Draymond. And Draymond, playoff Draymond is honestly just such a joy to watch. I really, and I think a lot of people kind of feel the same way. The Warriors are so much more enjoyable to watch without Kevin Durant because there's, I I would put it as there's a bit of a purity uh, and a bit of an innocence to the team that was able to win before Kevin Durant, and now they're doing it. You know, now they're playing right now without Kevin Durant, and they're having that success. And Draymond has been awesome. And Steph has, after having a few poor games, a poor a few average games where the critics came out on him, he's you know had five straight thirty plus point games, has been an absolute killer. Uh, and there's just that joy of watching them. I mean, they even have Andrew Bogut back for this run, so they're just they're playing really good basketball right now, even without Kevin Durant. Draymond has been an absolute terror on both ends. He's hitting some shots. He's obviously a great passer. He's done it all for them. And they're just at a level right now where even without Kevin Durant, I don't think there's a team in the league that, that can beat them. That That's very interesting. We'll get to that in a second. But I do want to hop on your Draymond Green bandwagon and praise him. I, I mean, not bandwagon. That's the wrong term. But hop on, uh, hop on that Draymond Green sentiment because Draymond has been phenomenal. I'm someone who, if you've listened to a podcast throughout the year, it looked like he was a player that was deteriorating, and I thought, okay, these extensive runs and the, these extensive and deep playoff runs, uh, plus the fact that he is, at the end of the day, a six-six guy playing center. 
So, you know, that's a lot of wear and tear on a body. I just thought that Draymond could never get close to that peak again. But he really uh, switched up his diet, supposedly lost 20 pounds, all, all of this good stuff. And now he just looks absolutely incredible, man. Like, he is just, he is always, I, I, I watch him and he has like three to four possessions, uh, maybe a quarter even, where it's just like he made the exact perfect read. Like, he is so good at, at those two-on-one scenarios where he's the one defender and he, he either has to play the he has to play the shot and the lob and he always plays it right. I, I'm blown away by it, you know? Yeah, I mean there's just so many things that he does that don't you know it's kind of a cliche, but with Draymond you can really apply it. There's so many things that don't show up in the in the stat sheet with him where, you know, he just gets his hands in on a play, he dives for a loose ball, you know, he has that that leadership mentality that that shows up on the court with his feisty, you know, talk and, and his feisty play, that what he's doing right now, it, it, it has to be noticed because, and I get it's kind of tough to do that when he has, a, not I wouldn't say poor, but at best an average regular season, um, you know, where he just isn't really going at 100%. But what he's done in the playoffs has just kind of reminded everyone of of what Draymond Green really is and how good he really is. And, you know, when you're a team like Golden State and, and you have that luxury of being able to kind of coast in the regular season and then your players turn it up in the postseason, you know, that's a luxury that no one else in the league really has, and, and they show that. And, and what Draymond has done in these playoffs, it, it reminds you that, you know, when he's, when he's going at, you know, 100%, when he's going at Draymond level, he's a top, you know, 15 20 player in the league yeah he's absolutely phenomenal man i mean the way he has stepped up his game is something that is just it, it's huge it can't be understated for the for the warriors success i mean if he if if we have uh if he if he has more performances like this in the next couple seasons after presumably kevin durant leaves uh this warriors team isn't going anywhere anytime soon he's been absolutely sensational uh, let's, I guess, get that out of the way. Um, that's been a big talking point throughout all of the podcasts that, I, that I've listened to throughout the weeks. Is There's a whole narrative of, well, the Warriors are looking great uh, without Kevin Durant. So, obviously, they're better without Kevin Durant, right? I've always pushed back on that. They're not better. They're just, I think, personally, they're, they're more motivated by it. And they play a different style with Kevin Durant and... They do a lot of, uh, Kevin Durant kind of takes away some of their options. Like when Steph Curry and Draymond do their pick and roll, they'll, they'll blitz Steph Curry. Well, now they will without Kevin Durant, but when Kevin Durant's on the floor, they don't blitz. They don't blitz because then it's either an open three for KD or Clay. But when they blitz Kevin, uh, when they blitz Curry, when Durant's not playing, that allows Draymond Green to be the short roll man and make the, make all the passes and just opens up. The, the, the lobs to Iguodala, Kayvon Looney, whoever, and also the, the corner threes to, to Clay. It just opens up so much more for them um, offensively. So I don't think the Warriors are personally better without Kevin Durant. I just think they're personally more motivated. They have, they've rediscovered a hunger, and they play a different style that I think, uh, think complements them better. But... When you run into a team that's physically imposing, uh, like like Milwaukee could potentially be for them in the in the finals, if Milwaukee gets there, then all of a sudden, 
that you need Kevin Durant. Like that that the whole reason they lost the 2016 finals was because they didn't have one guy that's that that they could quote unquote break the system and just get them a bucket against anyone in the league. And that was and that's Kevin Durant. So I don't think they're better without Kevin Durant. Um, are you, where do you stand on this whole notion? Yeah, we're on the same page here. There's just there's just no reality where you you're a better team when what some people would say is the best player in the league is injured for you and is not playing. I mean, I don't think he's the best player in the league. I think Steph's the best player in the league, but he's right there at two or three uh, for me. And there's just no way that the, the Warriors are better when he's not playing. For all the reasons you mentioned, for being able to break down a defense, for being able to just get a bucket when when a team needed a bucket against any sort of defense, Kevin Durant in an echelon of his own when it comes to that, and, and the Warriors need that. And, and that's going to be very much needed against Milwaukee. I mean, I still think that they can beat Milwaukee without Kevin Durant, but they'll have a much tougher time, and they won't just run through them like they did Portland. Milwaukee is a very good team, and, and that's if Milwaukee gets past Toronto. I know we're still going to talk about that series, but against either of those teams, you know, those are two teams that are going to put up a, a, probably a better fight because they're healthier than Portland was. You know, Portland missing Yusef Nurkic and – you know, that's a pretty big loss, but Toronto's healthy. Milwaukee's gotten healthy throughout the postseason with Nikola Mirotic and Malcolm Brogdon coming back. So this is a, you know, those are two teams that are going to put probably a better fight. And Kevin Durant, again, just top player in the league, a two-way monster, can get his own shot, an elite three-point shooter, gets to the rim, you know, is an isolation type of score, which becomes more important in the playoffs. And those are all things that Golden State benefits from. There's just no reality where having Alfonso, Alfonso McKinney starting few at small forward is better than having Kevin Durant starting for starting few at small forward. I just think that's kind of a, a just a bogus assumption and a bogus ide- ideology. Yeah, man, a hundred percent. You you put it up perfectly. Just Alonzo McKinney at small forward instead of Kevin Durant is not make you a better team. It's that simple. Um, let's jump to the other series then, since we've been kind of tiptoeing around it. So. Milwaukee is up two to one. They're playing tonight for future record. Um, they're playing tonight against Toronto. Game four. After what was a thrilling double overtime game three, uh, this series has had moments where Toronto look. Game one, Toronto looked like for a majority of the game looked like they were going to pull it out. Game three, they were in control most of the game. Had a sensational game from guys like Marcus Sol and. Pascal Siakam played well. I know everybody's going to kind of rewrite history there with his with his missed free throws, but overall he played extremely well in that series or in that game, I should say. And so, as a result, Milwaukee or Toronto put their best fourth effort and they won by 6 against Milwaukee. Giannis struggled. He had 6 turnovers in the game. And only, uh, I'm pulling up the box score right now, I forget, I believe it was 12 points, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, he, had, he only had 12 points and yeah, 5 12. of 16 shooting, like you mentioned, 8 turnovers, he ended up following out of the game. So, he just really struggled in Game 3, and it was kind of like the Raptors, you know, kind of, sort of, figured him out a little bit. Uh, I don't think you can really do that for a whole series. And there's also going to be games where the Bucks role players and, and secondary players beat you, I mean... Heck, even in Game 3, Brogdon had 20, and Brogdon has been outstanding since coming back from injury. Fantastic. He deserves all the credit in the world. But George Hill, I mean, 24 points and 7 rebounds for George Hill off the bench. And 
And that's where, you know, Milwaukee probably wins this game if they get more production from their two from their starting backcourt where, you know, Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton combined for just 20 points on a combined 6 of uh 40 40 from or 36 32. from the field. Yeah, I can't do I can't do quick math <laughs> like that, but I mean they were awful and and for Milwaukee to barely or for Milwaukee to barely lose, it's kind of impressive in its own sense, but Toronto could very well be up in this series two to one. Uh, it's it you know you go back to that game one where middle of the third quarter Milwaukee just kind of turned it up, a la Golden State, and they ended up winning that game. So this has been a great series, and I, I don't think it's going to get worse. It's only going to get better as as the uh, implications become more serious. Yeah, man i I don't know where to go with this series. Like, really, I don't. Um... I've had I just haven't had the right feel for Toronto all playoffs. Like um, obviously, don't get me wrong. I picked them in Orlando. That was easy. In Philly, after Game One, I was like, they are going to absolutely crush Philly, and and uh, that series ends up going the total distance all the way to seven, and ends on a just a miraculous bounce, four-time bounce shot from Kawhi Leonard, which was unbelievable. And then they come into this Game One and they look like they're they look like they're uh, they're they're going to win, and then Milwaukee storms back, and then Game Two, Milwaukee blows them out, and you think, okay, Toronto doesn't stand a chance in this series, or well, maybe not doesn't stand a chance, but it looks like they clearly have a tough tough obstacle ahead of them, a tough course to win this series, and yet here they come, winning Game Three, and I know Toronto obviously having 25 from Pascal, 16 from Mark on five of 10 shooting with 12 rebounds and seven assists. That's as good a game. Playing 44 minutes, Marcus Sol, and playing them all effectively is uh, something I don't know how repli- how many times they could duplicate that that kind of performance from him. Um, Kyle Lowry looking, he he actually looked good early in the series, but uh, last game he struggled uh, in game three. So I just I don't know what to make of this Toronto team. I still believe in my heart of hearts that this is a Milwaukee series to lose and that I think they're going to come in game four and they're going to win just because Toronto has Kawhi and Kawhi only. It seems like everybody else is just inconsistent. They don't have even Pascal, who's I guess their second best player consistently, is has not been consistent throughout this playoff run. So it, it just it's hard for me to count on a team with Kawhi, uh, with Kawhi being your best player and not really having a second player versus a team with Giannis, who's presumably going to win the MVP of the league, and also a much deeper team that has a lot of consistent, uh, consistent bench players on it. Like you mentioned, George Hill's been great. Um, Pat Connaughton always gives them solid minutes. Brooke Lopez has been phenomenal. Uh, so it's it's to me it's hard to imagine Toronto winning this series, even though it is only a two-one series. Yeah, I mean you, you nailed it on the head when you talked about Kyle Lowry starting the series off well, but kind of just tap, tampered off sense. And then you talked about Pascal Siakam being inconsistent in the playoffs, and that's just kind of the, the generalization of the Raptors. They're just inconsistent as a whole. Kawhi Leonard is the consistent superstar, but really everyone else on that team. On a game-by-game basis, you just don't know what you're going to get from them. I mean, Siakam, Lowry, Gasol, those are all guys that are pretty good players. Uh, you know, Gasol's not an all-star level player anymore, but you're talking about a former all-star and then a couple guys that are either all-stars or fringe all-stars. 
and and their production in the playoffs at least has been very inconsistent. I mean, even in game three, Lowry didn't have a terrible game. I mean, he shot four or seven from the field, only turned the ball over once, had five assists, but he just didn't make a great enough impact. And, and I think there's a difference between struggling and, and failing to make a great enough impact because when he did have the ball and he took the shot when he took some shots and he it was involved in the offense, he looked pretty good. But he just disappears, and he disappears too much, and that's a problem when you're an all-star level player making max contract money. You know, Siakam had a very nice game. It was like him and Lowry kind of flipped spots for a game where Siakam, who's been struggling throughout the playoffs, had a nice game, and then Lowry, who's been pretty good uh, since the first round, struggled. So with them, you just never know what you're going to get, and Danny Green has struggled. You know, he's throughout the playoffs. He was 1-9 from the field. They needed a big game from Norm Powell off the bench uh, to, to win that big, you know, win that big game three. And again, it, it, it took guys on Milwaukee struggling. It took Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton shooting 6-32 of 32 from the field. Uh, it took Giannis shooting 5-16 of 16 from the field and, and fouling out and, ha- and have, turn, turning the ball over eight times. It took a lot to go wrong for Milwaukee for Toronto to win. And, and that's why we're on the same page of this is Milwaukee's series to lose. I predicted this series to go seven at the beginning, and I picked Milwaukee to win it. I, I feel very comfortable with that pick right now. I still think it'll go seven because I think Kawhi Leonard's on another stratosphere right now with the way he's playing. And I think that Toronto can get enough consistent performances. Uh, you know, if they, if they can get a couple more good performances from Lowry, from Siakam, they'll be able to steal another game or two. So I, I think they can get that. I think it'll still go seven. But again, Milwaukee has no business losing this series, even if it goes seven, just because the talent disparity is, is pretty large, in my opinion, especially when you look at the depth. I mean, you have Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench, George Hill coming off the bench, and even Arizona Sova has been really good in the playoffs. So uh, there's just too much from that Milwaukee has that Toronto cannot counter. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I'm still shocked you see it going seven, but... You know, the crazy thing about this playoffs is everything is so, um, so fluid. Like, if Milwaukee if, if Milwaukee loses this game for tonight to Toronto, all of a sudden it's 2-2. And if Toronto just has a, a, a good game, if they, if they play for four quarters like they played in game one in Milwaukee and they pull off a win, then all of a sudden it's 3-2 coming home to Toronto. So, like, you can really never never count a team out i mean we've seen that recently in in nba history and so it's so interesting to see how fast these things change in in these series when the when the stakes are this high but that being said i got two i got two questions for you which is uh which is my which is my concern and and a reason for me picking milwaukee like you are in this series and so the first is if you were to do a draft, just give me a number. If you were to do a draft of the 10 best players from both these teams, how many of those players are Milwaukee, roughly? Like six, maybe seven? Yeah, probably right around there. I mean, I think it leans more towards Milwaukee than, than Toronto. You know, Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, Lopez for the series that he's had, Malcolm Brogdon, George Hill, you know, and then and then Nikola Mirotic and Aristotle Eliasova. I it just goes to show how much deeper Milwaukee is than Toronto. Yeah. And the second question I have, and this was my big reason for why I actually picked the Bucks in five um, going into this series, was um, before the series started, I just looked at the matchups. I looked at the way Toronto was playing so inconsistently with 
there uh, with with Kawhi's supporting cast being so inconsistent. I, I just saw that Kawhi obviously has to guard Giannis, and that was a Game 3 adjustment they made, and Kawhi still played a fantastic game, scoring 36 points for them on a pretty decent shooting. I mean, not the greatest, 11 of 25, but uh, all things considered, 25 shots for Kawhi is better than a, a lot of shots. You want those shots in Kawhi's hands rather than anyone else on the team, but how how long do you think Kawhi can actually guard Giannis for? How many minutes in a game can he actually guard Giannis for? Because that's, to me, it's way too taxing. He has so much to do on offense. I can't imagine him playing more than, more than uh, you know, five to ten minutes guarding Giannis in the game, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the scale that you, if you're Toronto, you're trying not to tip, but you want to try to maximize and... It's tough because, I mean, Leonard, as we've known him throughout his career, is one of, if not the best defender in the NBA. Uh, and when you're going up against one of the most unstoppable forces in the league, you would love to have your best defender being able to guard him throughout the game. But, again, that, like you said, that's just too taxing. And, and you, you look what Leonard had to do in Game 3, played the most minutes of the team, 52 minutes, took the most shots, you know, Took some, obviously took some some hits because he went to the free throw line and took 13 free throws. So that's a guy that had to go through a lot, and we know his injury history as well. So you can't put him on Giannis for every single possession they're sharing the court together and and expect him to then be able to carry the significant load offensively. So it, it's a tough, it's tough scale that you don't want to tip, and I'm not really sure what the correct number would be, but I, I, I would say you can, can only guard have – Kawhi guarding Giannis for I I don't even know I don't even know how many possessions I'd want I, I could calculate to, to be fair but if Kawhi is able to do it you obviously do it but if you start to see some fatigue if you start to see some tear uh, then you gotta you gotta switch it up you gotta throw Siakam on him you gotta go w with someone else and that's a problem because outside of Siakam and, and Leonard there's really not another big wing on Toronto's team that can even try to stop Giannis and at least try to limit him. Everyone else is kind of too too small. I mean, I guess you could put maybe a Serge Ibaka on him, but I don't know how well that would work. There's just not a lot of great options past Kawhi and maybe Siakam. Yeah, Serge playing only 14 minutes in a double overtime game, by the way. Um, that's pretty telling to me. Yeah, he's he's been, I mean, he's just kind of been inconsistent. He had a nice game. I, I can't remember if it was game one or game two where he, he, he played pretty well. But then there are other nights, you know, in this path, you know, throughout the playoffs where he's just not been all too good and he's not, not been all too helpful. And that's a problem for a guy that's making, you know, about $20 million a year. Uh, that's a problem. And that's taking up a lot of Toronto's cap space that they, they could be using again on, on a wing that uh, is, is more helpful. And one other thing that I think is interesting, and I think that Nick Nurse should go to more, is he started to play... Uh, kind of a, a, a big three lineup of Siakam, Abaka, and Gasol. And that's had some positive returns on it. So I, I'd like to see him go back to that a little bit more. I think there's some value to it. Just because Siakam's versatile enough to play the three and can shoot and is quick enough to defend threes on the other, on the opposing team. And then, you know, it gets Ibaka and Gasol out there for rim protection and interior defense. And then both of them have kind of similar yet contrasting skill sets offensively where I, I think there's a nice balance to it. So I'd like to see that more too, especially, again, considering Toronto's lack of wing options when you have to take Kawhi out, that's not a, a bad front court to roll with. No, I, I'm with you 100% because 
look at Milwaukee's front line anyways. Like it's Mir it's usually Miritich and, and Lopez or Ilyasovas and those are kind of the three interchangeable bigs with along with Giannis will play big sometimes, but um those aren't mobile. Those aren't the ones those aren't, you know, the Draymond Greens that are gonna punish you by uh by virtue of small ball, just fast pace. Those are those are all players that Marcus Soul can kind of keep up with. I mean, Brooke Lopez is probably the most difficult, but um, but you could probably switch the matchups and put Ibaka on Lopez and and put Gasol on Ilyasova or, or Miritich. I mean, neither Ilyasova nor Miritich and Lopez, of course, too, are none of them would you would consider mobile bigs. So I like that idea a lot because that's one of the advantages Milwaukee has, and I think that's what makes them such a great rebounding team is that they can play Giannis at the small forward and they can play him with two bigs and then they have all of this size and not to mention the size they have in their backcourt as well. So I agree. I, I would, If I was Nick Nurse, I would look to that lineup a little bit more uh, for those minutes that Kawhi's not on the floor because I think that, I, number one, I think Ibaka, even though he's been up and down, I think he's a, a good enough player to be playing more than 14 minutes in a double overtime game. And number two, uh, I, I just I can't see them playing Gasol forty four minutes, so uh, forty four minutes every every game, and and expecting him to maintain throughout that game uh, his efficiency. So, yeah, I agree with that. Gasol's a guy that that yeah he can't be doing that at at the mid thirties age that he's at, and he's he was really good last game, but eventually that's going to tear his body down to the point where by game five, game six. He's not. He's not. He's either not going to be able to play, or he's not going to be a value on the court. Yeah. All right. Give me your prediction for uh, for Game Four tonight. I assume since you're saying it's going seven still, that uh, that you expect Toronto to win tonight. Yeah, I think Toronto's got to take this this next one at home. Uh, you know, even up this series at two apiece, and then you know, then it gets a little different you know for game five you know who's you know we'll see kind of what happens i mean maybe toronto could go up three two more likely back at home milwaukee's able to win it but i think toronto's got to win it tonight if they're going to keep this a series you don't want to go down three to one um that's just a really tough spot to be in so i think toronto can win this one even though they they did play their guys a very you know they had to play their guys a lot of minutes kyle lowry only played 31 minutes though so he should be relatively fresh compared to some of the other guys. It'll be interesting to see how Gasol does, how Leonard does, because Leonard's had such a heavy workload this offseason, and we ha he had that scheduled rest throughout the season. He doesn't get that in the postseason, so how does that affect him? And then how, how does Milwaukee respond to losing? How does Giannis come out and play after kind of being figured out a little bit in Game 3? Is Bledsoe able to turn it around? Do they maybe give Malcolm Brogdon a bigger role with the way he's playing? There's a lot of variables that, that Milwaukee could go to, but I think Budenholzer is going to be a bit conservative and kind of stay the same as, he, as he's gone throughout the postseason. And then if they lose, maybe you'll see more changes. But I think Toronto is in a spot where they can win this game. And if they're going to make this series, you know, go 6-7, try to win it, then they have to win tonight. Yeah. I, I agree with you. The, the series hangs in the balance tonight. If it if the if Toronto wins, this is a series that could go uh, that could go. It will go to at least six, obviously, but uh, could have the potential to go seven. And then if they lose tonight, I don't I don't see them getting out of Milwaukee down down three to one. And I I would say that the series is over at that point. My prediction is Milwaukee's going to win. I think Giannis is going to have a better game. Uh, we've seen Giannis throughout this playoff uh, kind of respond well 
two bad games. He's responded well each time. He responded in the Boston series, um, and he's and I think he's going to respond again in this series. And so, but between that and I think we'll get a better performance from Middleton. Uh, Bledsoe's been struggling throughout a, a significant portion of the playoffs, so I don't. I, I well, I think he'll break out of the slump at some point. I don't think it's. I, I don't uh, want to make that prediction that it's coming soon, and I don't want to rely on that. But I think just the difference of, of Middleton and Giannis, they're, they're two, two of their best players. I I say Brogdon's their second best, but arguably their, set, their top two players in Giannis and, and Middleton. Um, I, I think them stepping up and having better games will, will lead to a Toronto victory. Yeah, I mean, that that would certainly help because they both really struggled immensely in Game 3, and, and we obviously know the importance of those two, Giannis, an MVP candidate, Middleton, a fringe all-star level player. So they'll need to be better if, if Milwaukee's going to win tonight. All right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to tonight's game. Aaron, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Once again, this is Aaron Johnson, the co-founder of Palace of Pistons. He also does some writing for Def Pen Hoops and Clutch Point app. Uh, Aaron, you got any, do you got any work you want to plug? Go ahead and do that. Well, if you want to check out uh, our Pistons website, palaceofpistons.com, I'd greatly appreciate that. Myself and the rest of the team there working on some season reviews for the players on the team. We just had Andre Drummond's season review drop today. It was written greatly by Mike Inguiano. Uh, a great piece on him. We'll have scouting reports for the NBA draft coming out soon. And we also have the Palace of Pistons podcast, which you can find everywhere as well. And Chris uh, has been you know, part of the, the Pistons blog that he's worked with us before and a great friend of mine. So I appreciate you, Chris, for having me on today. It's always great to talk basketball with you. Hey, man, it's 100% mutual. And uh, this offseason, man, you gotta, you gotta find you got to find room for me on that Palace of Pistons podcast. I'm yeah, there. we will make it happen for sure. For sure. I, I mean, I remember our podcast years ago where we were talking about the Pistons uh, and, and Andre Drummond. I still remember those podcasts to this day. Brandon <laughs> Jennings. I mean, oh man, years and years days. ago, we go back to those kind of talks. So it, it's, it's always great catching up with you, and I always enjoy our talks. Yeah, man. I I remember that that discussion, man. We were having the discussion: Do you start Brandon Jennings after tearing the Achilles, or do you start Reggie Jackson? What a time! What, what a time a in Pistons time. history. How the times have changed. My, 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 how the times have changed. All right, Aaron, thank you for coming on, buddy. I appreciate you. You do great work uh, when you're not on this podcast, but you also do great work on this podcast. So I greatly appreciate it, my friend, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Thank you, man.